0: started learning to match race one of the main things that we did to learn was watch YouTube videos of of all these guys and see what they would do and and try to learn how they would match race and and then we ended up coming up up against them in certain events so it was a little bit daunting because you see these guys as the legends of the of the sport. Yeah, the boats, man. We never sailed anything like it. They were probably a 10-ton, almost wouldn't say cruising setup because they were set up for racing, but they were a cruiser. They had twin wheels. They had bunks downstairs, two toilets, two cupboards, you know, like kitchen, speakers, they had everything. So it wasn't exactly a race setup. You know, it was was almost a bit of a joke when Sam first mentioned it, I think. First mentioned it as Nick on the Stick Racing. (laughs) So he was like, oh, we can call it Knots with a N-O-T-S, but then he had the idea to put a K in front of it, make it Knots and make the K stand for King. So unfortunately, Sam has given us the name King Nick on the Stick.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome along to Broadreach Radio, the Yachting New Zealand podcast. My name is Michael Brown, and this week we look at the world of match racing and talk to Nick Egnot johnson Nick is number two in the world match racing rankings, which is an impressive achievement for a 22-year-old. He's done it alongside of a handful of mates who make up Knots racing. But he rather fell into match racing because of an unfortunate set of circumstances. We talk to him about his earlier days what influence his mother had on him, his Olympic ambitions, and how he got into match racing. We also look into how he found himself racing and often beating some of the world's best at the Congressional Cup when a relative unknown, the times he's felt like a salesman trying to get into events, and where he hopes to see himself in a few years. And like all guests on the show, he talks about his worst wipeout ever. It's time to roll the interview. Enjoy. Nikki Knot johnson welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. So you're second in the world match racing rankings, and you have been since, um, I think it's October last year, but you don't get to go match racing right now. So what would have you been doing about now if COVID-19 hadn't happened?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a shame with the COVID-19 going on. A big lack of international sailing, obviously, at the moment. But yeah, um, I guess this time last year, we were over in uh, Matrace, Germany, um, competing in that, and we'd just come off the back of doing the Congressional Cup and Gold Cup. So that's what we would have been up to, uh, given a normal uh, situation. But yeah, so pretty uh, pretty disappointing, but we're getting stuff done at home, so it's all good.
1: And what are the prospects of competing internationally again this year? Is it basically zero?
0: Yeah, so um, Congressional Cup and the Gold Cup, they got, both got postponed till September. Um, but unfortunately, um, we've had to um, cancel those completely as well. So nothing until November as of current. We've got the M- Musto Matt race event in Sydney, which is still on the cards. And hopefully we can open up a border and get across to Sydney and um, have a, that as our first one for the year. So really looking forward to that.
1: So what's on the agenda uh, for you and the team um, in the meantime?
0: Um, At the moment, we're all just really working hard on our fitness. It's one of the main things we can do while we're all stuck at home. Um, A lot of the team, we've all got foiling moths, so we're spending quite a bit of time out in those, and they're just awesome boats for learning foiling, and it seems that is the way that sailing's going. So between the fitness and the moth sailing, that's keeping us pretty busy.
1: Any time on a a keelboat together?
0: Unfortunately, we haven't had much time together on a keelboat. Um, obviously, over lockdown, you we weren't allowed to go sailing, and then for a bit we had to keep our space. So it's a team sport, and that got written off for a bit. And we've been out training every now and then on the keelboats, but main focus at the moment is the foiling, especially with the Youth Americas Cup coming up. Really trying to build on our foiling skills.
1: Yeah, so you you've got the as you mentioned the Youth Americas Cup on the radar uh, for twenty one. And you've been selected in the wider squad for the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadrons team. So what has that entailed so far? So all they've
0: done so far is um, they've taken a lot of CVs and they've narrowed those CVs down to a 17-man squad, I believe it is at the moment. Um, It's a mixture of both boys and girls, 50-50. And um, after fitness testing and interviews with the yacht squadron, they'll narrow it down to a a four-person team. Well, sorry, an an eight-man squad. So you've got a reserve for each position on the boat. And yeah, I we'll, um, guess we're all just working hard on our fitness just to make sure we can all get a spot on the team.
1: Any idea what um, what role you might have if you were involved in that eight, eight-person team?
0: <laughs> Ideally, uh, my, my background would be to helm the boat. Uh, that would be my ideal position, but I'm really happy to do anything really. It just looks like such a great uh, opportunity to be a part of.
1: When do you actually get your hands on those foiling AC9 F boats um, that will be used for the Youth Americas Cup? Because we've seen them, um, you know, buzzing around the the harbour a little bit already.
0: Yeah, yachting developments. They've been out testing them. Uh, the boat's been looking really good, actually. I think, but uh, unfortunately, we won't be allowed to uh, take the home advantage and, and train in them in New Zealand. Um, because that's uh, against the rules. So I think um, the earliest we'll be able to get sailing them is probably around November, um, when the other teams might be able to get their hands on them as well. So no home court advantage in terms of getting to use the boats more, unfortunately.
1: So what will you train in as a team uh, once a, a squad is named?
0: Yeah, there's a few boats in Auckland that could be all beneficial. Uh, you've got the GC-32s, which hopefully we could gain access to. Uh, Moths, uh, the, the NACRA-20s down at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, they're all giving off relevant following experience and yeah, a lot of gym training together as a team.
1: What have you, I guess, seen? Have you seen these um, boats on the water yet or what have you heard about them?
0: Yeah, haven't haven't seen them in person yet, but managed to see some photos uh, that someone had chucked up on Facebook and they were looking really cool. Uh, managed to talk to one of the the sailors who had been out on one of them and she's mentioned that it was um, an extremely fast boat and wishes she was younger so she could um, compete in it.
1: So there is this gender rule which you talked about with two males and two females on board and this is um, it's never been done before in America's Cup sailing. Um, has your mother said anything about that given the role she played in women's sailing 25 years ago?
0: No, she, she hasn't had too much opinion on it, really. But um, I think both men are on the same page uh, w- with that. And I, I reckon it's just a great opportunity for all girls, up-and-coming sailors wanting to get into sailing. Um, it could be just a really great inspiration to bring more girls into the sport, You know, having something for them all to aim towards. Um, I, I think it's cool. I've never sailed alongside girls before, and I think it could be a, a great experience.
1: Um, So your mother, of course, is um, Leslie Egnaught, who won silver with Jan Shearer at the 92 Barcelona Olympics and then famously skippered the All Women's Crew at the 1995 America's Cup. Um, She was also uh, the guest for Episode 7 of Broadreach Radio when she um, talks about her experiences. So what did you sort of know of your mother's exploits growing up?
0: Yeah, I knew that she was one of the top, female yachtsman in the world growing up, and I thought that was a great thing for me to look to, um, saw it as a great thing of inspiration. But um, one of the main things that I had that I was, I was privileged to have was uh, she was such a great coach, uh, well both her and my dad David Johnson, both great coaches and uh, leaders for me as I was going through the sailing and you know all of their years of hard work, uh, they managed to pass on quite a bit of it to me, and I think that's been a huge um, thing for me growing up through sailing.
1: So were you in a boat before you could even walk? Yeah,
0: we had a a family boat that would take away like cruising all the time and always used to have the Optimus strapped to the back of it. And yeah, there's photos of me and the family in it when, you know, uh, under five years old. So it's, it's, it started pretty young.
1: Was it ever difficult that um, you were the son of a, of an Olympic medalist and America's Cup skipper? Um, you know, other kids kind of look at you differently.
0: No, um, I I never really saw it in in that sense. I I always thought it was just a, a a great thing to have, and you know all the experience that they've got over the over the years, they're able to pass it on. So I, I think it was actually really
1: cool. And what role does she play in your sailing today?
0: Yeah, the, these days, she's a a great leader, and you know she's got lots of wisdom, that um, good guidance that she can pass on to me for my sailing. You know, um, trying to prioritise which events and what we should be working for towards, she's um, all really good with in that aspect.
1: And if she sat you down and made you watch reruns of the '95 America's Cup? <laughs>
0: I think I set her down and make her watch reruns of it. You know, it's um, I, I love watching those old races. It's America's Cup was so cool back then, or still is. But you know, those old boats are going up when you can't beat those.
1: So, you followed a fairly traditional path as a youngster and, and sailing in the junior and, and youth classes. Um, talk to me a little bit about your youth sailing because you enjoyed a bit of a, um, success in the 29er with um, Jackson Keon.
0: Yep, that's right. Yeah, jumped into the 29er with Jackson Keown. Uh, we started off a, a little bit off the pace. You know, we're, we're both really new in the boat. It took about a year before we were starting to get on pace, and me and Jackson, we we actually formed a great partnership and friendship over that time. And, you know, with combined that with lots of training and lots of um, time on the water. And, you know, we started to see some good results. Um, I think one of the best results we had was uh, managing to pick up a second in the youth worlds in Malaysia. So we are really happy with that.
1: Yeah, on top of that, you also won the UK National Championship. So I guess at that point, where did you see your future in sailing?
0: Uh, back then, I, I was really interested into getting into the Forty er and campaigning towards and uh, or doing an Olympic campaign. But yeah, um, you know, stuff changes and you got to adjust. But yeah,
1: because you actually said at one time, and I quote, a long term goal for me is to go to the Olympics in eight to twelve years time and sail for New Zealand. So what what did change?
0: I guess well, I, I jumped into the Forty Nineer sailing with my good friend Jack Rogers. And uh, yeah, we we were going along pretty good. We managed to pick up a top 10 in the Sailing World Cup in Melbourne, which was our last we got it together. But really, unfortunately, Jack uh, developed a a, a syndrome in his forearms where he was unable to hold the rope anymore. So we we went on a bit of a break for a bit. I was experimenting with different crews. And yeah, unfortunately, he never was able to make a recovery to uh, the sailing. So. In that time, I joined the performance program through the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, and um, that's where the match racing started, and I've never really looked back since then.
1: So, so why why the youth training program and keelboats and not, sort of say, continue trying to find another partner in a 49er, for example?
0: Yeah, I, I guess once I started the match racing, I saw what a... Before I joined the match racing, I didn't really see that as an opportunity i didn't realize what a cool pathway it was going to be but once i got into it and saw all the different opportunities it could lead towards uh, I, I was pretty convinced with sticking to that pathway instead of going down the olympic campaigning route
1: and have you been in a 49er much since
0: no i haven't been in a 49 for a long time
1: so what, what is it that's clicked with you with keelboat sailing
0: I guess um, it's really strategic the keelboat sailing especially the mat tracing side of things it's um it's a very technical side of it and uh, I guess that's what I really enjoy about it is the strategy technical side of it and uh, I love being in a team as well it's a it's a great team environment you sometimes you're in a boat with six to seven guys and um, yeah it's great just trying to all work together as a team towards one goal
1: what sort of success were you having in those those early days you know what sort of racing were you doing and and how were teams devised
0: in the early days of match racing we were uh, mostly competing on the local or, or national circuit and we weren't really having much um luck at the time but there were some other really big names in that area who were kind of dominating the circuit but um yeah, we stuck to it and within a, a year year and a bit we managed to progress through the ranks and ended up going international and managing
1: clock up some good results. So let's just talk about this team because that's probably the one that uh, has given you the the most success over recent times. So how did this idea to put a match racing team come about?
0: Yeah, there was a youth match racing Worlds opportunity uh, in Italy and um, really wanted to put a team together for that to try and trial to compete with that. So they were going to run our trials out of the yacht squadron and the top team would get to go and compete. So I um, gathered my good friend Sam Barnett and Zach Murden together. Uh, we were <laughs> we were about thirty kilos under the weight limit, and you want to be on the weight. So we grabbed one of the Opti kids that we spend time coaching, Lucas, and he he was our fourth uh, little thirty kilo kid, and uh, yeah, managed to win the trials. And from that point,
1: just stuck with that team, and we've been best mates and a great team since. But you've added some others. So how do you sort of Go about adding other people. What sort of attributes do you look for in a team? And, and is it purely about sailing ability?
0: Um, I, th- I think one of the main things is you've got to all be able to work together well as a team because you spend so much time traveling, so much time training, always together. You know, if you're not going to get on well 100% of the time, it's most likely not going to work. So yeah, p- picked um, a team based off that and, you know, someone you can work really well with. Um, So, yeah, for the three people boats, which are most small boats, um, got the core three of myself, Sam and Zach. And um, for the fourth person we brought in, he's a British guy. Um, He's been living here for a few years now, Bradley McLaughlin, and he does all the bow work on the boat. Really talented sailor. And, yeah, we all get along really well. And for the fifth person, we needed um, someone a lot bigger and someone who could uh, pull ropes real hard and, and also good tactically. So we've got Tim Sneddon as our fifth for the Big Boat events.
1: So what do you do, put an ad in the classifieds and say we're looking for someone or you actually <laughs> tap everyone on the shoulder?
0: No, we've we've been friends of these guys all for a long time, you know. So, again, it's just you pick people off um, who you know you're going to work with really well and and stick with that and, and train hard and, yeah, it, it comes a good.
1: So tell us the story behind your name, um, Not Racing. <laughs>
0: You know, it was, it was almost a bit of a joke when Sam first mentioned it. I think he um, first mentioned it as uh, Nick on the Stick Racing. <laughs> so he was like, oh, we can call it Knots with a N O T S. But then he had the idea to put a K in front of it, make it Knots, and make the K stand for King. So unfortunately, Sam has given us the name King Nick on the Stick, which um, it's a name I'm trying to get rid of. because I'm a bit, don't like it that much. So looking for a sponsor to. Give off some naming rights, but yeah, that, unfortunately, that's what we're stuck with at the moment.
1: So, are you the king in the team? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, no, we're all we're all on an equal playing field. How does it work on a um? You know, during a race, you know, who calls the shots? How do you make decisions uh, so quickly uh, when things need to be done?
0: Yeah, you know, um, everyone's got their own roles on the boat, but all all the roles change depending on the boat. So. For a small three-person boat, everything happens really fast, and a lot of the decisions have got to come from myself on a small boat, just because you're the one driving, so you don't have time to talk about anything, it's just got to happen at the time, and it's got to come from the helm, but when you get into the bigger boats, like what we sail on the Congressional Cup, we've got five to six people, Uh, you can afford to have a tactician, you've got a lot more time to talk about things because uh, everything's happening a lot slower. So, yeah, you, we've got Sam who does a lot of the tactics and, and Graham Sutherland, also our coach. He came on and did tactics for us last time at the Congressional Cup. So, yeah, it all, all depends on what size boat you're in, I guess, because there's just different dynamics at, at, at playing field.
1: So as a helm who has to make decisions, let's say it's in the smaller team, how do you practice all of that or how do you learn what to do at the right time?
0: Yeah, uh, through the yacht squadron, we've got a, a great support field around us. We've got a coach, Ruben Corbett and Laurie Jury. They've got years of experience and they're able to pass that down to us. But one of the main things I found uh, for us learning was we actually had a really good team to train against. And that was Jordan Stevenson's team and his guys. And yeah, we we spent so much time out each night uh, training against them. And you just start to develop after doing that much uh, training for the racing. You just start to develop a bit of an instinct for the tactics of match racing and everything's a bit of a, play by play, you know, there's not too much debating that goes on. It's just, this happens then that happens
1: when that happens, you know? So there's kind of like a playbook that you can almost refer to.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's a, um, Dave Perry actually wrote the match racing playbook. And most of that stuff is bang on. Well, all of that stuff is bang on and yeah, you can, after a while you can pretty much just defer back to that playbook, but it's just understanding
1: what to know and and, and when to use it. So what's it like when you're trying to play catch-up and you can see the playbook just unfolding uh, just as the the book says and you you try something and then your opponent does exactly what the playbook says?
0: Yeah, that's a loss. But, you know, there's always a counter move for everything in match racing, so you just got to uh, stick with what you think might be able to win and always just keep chipping away at it. And, you know, they might make a mistake. They might not do it. And, you know, if they're perfect, then they'll win. But, you know, everyone makes mistakes, so... If you're just behind someone, you just keep the pressure on them and keep chipping away, and, you know, eventually they might slip up. So I guess that's one of the big things is when you're trying to come from behind.
1: So you got your first ranking in October 2017 uh, at the lofty position of 1,011 <laughs> in the world. Yep. What, what was your kind of ambition at this point?
0: Yeah, I guess we... We as a team, we all saw that the mat racing tour was something we really wanted to aim towards, and to get on that, you had to be ranked, you know, top fifteen in the world. And we saw all these different events we could do to help us boost our ranking. So we spent a year or two trying to go to go to all these events and and, and boost that ranking by getting good results. So that was the main ambition at that point. It was just to get a great enough world ranking to be able to get entry into certain events. So
1: is rankings kind of key is that the main factor um to get yourself uh, entry into every anything you want to
0: yeah so most match racing events they pick the field based upon the ranking there's not many other ways in occasionally you can get a wild card entry to an event by winning a qualifier or a certain event so but yeah ranking is the main way of getting into events so when we first started out we actually found it pretty hard to get into some of the bigger events. We had to battle our way around the, the grade threes, you know, all the youth events, under under 20 events, and uh, try to just grind our way through those to the point where we could get an entry to, you know, a grade two. Like uh, two years ago, we went to New York and um, got invited to do the Oak Cliff International, and that was our first ever grade two that we'd been invited to go to, and we were um, lucky enough to come away with a win at that one so that really boosted our ranking into the top top 30 at that point so from that point you can get entry into most things so that's what really kick-started it
1: because you, you, that was um you started having a little bit of success even before that um having sort of dipped your toes I guess into the international circuit was you know was it daunting to sort of see how you stacked up against some of these international crews
0: yeah like we we came up at well, when we first started learning to match race, one of the main things that we did to learn was watch YouTube videos of of all these guys and see what they would do, and 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 try to learn how they would match race. and uh, and then we ended up coming up, up against them in certain events. So it was a little bit daunting because you see these guys as the legends of the of the sport, and suddenly you're up against racing them and realizing that you can actually beat them. So yeah, well, it was a little bit daunting to start off with, but once you realize that we had a great team around us and we we could beat these guys, it was it was pretty
1: cool. So winning Oak Cliff International in in September 2018, what did that do for you as a team?
0: Yeah, so winning the Oak Cliff International, that actually got us uh, entry into the Congressional Cup in 2019, yeah, last year. And that that really boosted us because uh, we got to compete against some great guys in the Congressional Cup, which was our first ever Grade 1 event together. And, yeah, I, I think winning that, really just gave the team a sense of you know we can do this we can we've got something really cool to aim towards now like we're in it so i, th- I thought it was a, a big step forward from the oak cliff
1: guess okay, i'm thinking though that there's also a different side to the sport rankings is great and it's certainly probably a really key part of it but how much i guess of your sport is about networking and relationships and you know trying to convince organizers to to let you race did Do you, are there times when you sort of feel like a bit of a salesman?
0: Yeah, um, I guess you could say that. Um, It's the main thing that we're focusing on at the moment is just making sure that we've got a a great reputation with everyone else. You know, we're trying to be friends with everyone else, not burn any bridges because you never know down the track uh, if that person you could be on a team with. So you, you want to just get along with every single person that you can and have the best connections and you know, like also you said, mentioned something about um, getting you into events and, yeah, like you uh, maintain a good reputation with event organisers and, you know, you, you, you look after the event well and you get a good result, it's, um, it will get you invited back next time, which is really important. So yeah, I guess it is a pretty big thing to um, maintain a really good reputation while you're overseas like that.
1: So is that sort of networking, is that a side of the sport that you're comfortable doing?
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's a, I'm pretty comfortable with being able to network like that. I think it's really important just to um, know as many people as you can because you, you don't know how it's all going to pan out in, in 10 or so years' time, who's going to own what boat or, or run what team. You know. So I think it's a, a really big part just to be able to network your way around the sport.
1: <clears throat> now You mentioned the invitation to the 2019 Congressional Cup. Um, where was your head at? Going into that event, given you'd be up against the likes of you know multi-world champion and number one Ian Williams, Taylor Canfield, uh, Johnny Bernston and, and, and the like?
0: Yeah, it was such a cool experience, such a cool feeling. Uh, we, we went into that event with absolutely no expectations of a performance result. We, we went in there um, purely to learn and, and get a feel for what it was like to race against the world's best. And um, going into it with that mindset, we had absolutely no pressure on us for the racing. So it was actually a really cool feeling and, you know, we were, we were lucky enough to get wins off, um, people like Ian Williams in and in a couple in a, in a race. So yeah, it was, it was such a cool feeling to be able to go out and compete against those guys, especially just, you know, that's how we've all learned Matt Tracy, watching them on YouTube and stuff.
1: Yeah. He wasn't the only one you beat, um, on, and especially on that first day, I think you finished the first day with the second best record. Um, you know, what What was that experience like?
0: Oh, it was unreal. Just uh, after that first day, we all just couldn't believe, you know, the day we'd had. Uh, we, we would basically just, we would be happy with, or going into that day, we would have been happy with just one win for the day. And, you know, to come out, I think we had five wins and two losses, I think it was, after that first day. Um, we were super stoked. It was, it was a positive, and we thought we could have been the negatives. Was it hard not to get ahead of yourselves? No, we, we were fully well aware of the, the, the position we were in. And, you know, we'd actually just come off a massive training block. And we were probably coming in pretty hot to this event compared to some of the older teams who, you know, just jumped back in for this event. And I think they were really just starting to warm up. And it really showed by the end of the event when they started to really hurt us in the racing game.
1: So, in the end, you just missed out on a place in the semi finals. Um, I think losing the final um, r- race of the round robin two to Kiwi born Scott Dixon, which meant you finished fifth overall. In terms of the overall picture, what did that result do for you as a team?
0: Yeah, we of course, we were really gutted to just miss out on the semi finals, but we took a step back and realised hey, we were actually so lucky to be in the top five at this event caliber event so we were super stoked and I think the main thing we took away from it was huge learnings you just don't get to compete um, against a teams like that in New Zealand so yeah we we won't get to perform at that level of event and you know for a long time so you just got to take the learnings from it and we we're all super happy with it.
1: Did the offers of race entries start coming in more readily?
0: Yeah like the unofficial kind of invite came back for the following year and You know, um, Match Race Germany again, which was a couple of months after that. And yeah, it was a bit of a stepping stone for us, I think, getting a top five at the Congressional Cup.
1: So your your next significant result was probably that um, 2019 Match Race Germany, which you won. Um, Your first victory at a Grade 1 regatta. Um, But not everything was first grade, though, was it? So talk to us about the boats you were racing in and, and some of the features, I guess, in inverted commas, on board.
0: Yeah, no, it was a, yeah, we managed to win this one. It was a super cool event coming up against Eric Monen uh, in the finals. And he's a really well known mat race sailor, especially in the live ones that they've got on Lake Constance in Germany. We, yeah, that was his element and we were lucky enough to beat him in the final race, close finals. But yeah, the boats, man, we never sailed anything like it. They were probably a 10 ton, almost wouldn't say cruising setup because they were set up for racing, but they were a cruiser you know like they're a 40 foot Beneteau sailing in light winds they had twin wheels they had bunks downstairs two toilets two cupboards you know like kitchen speakers they had everything so it wasn't exactly a race setup but it was, everyone was in the same boat so that's what made it cool
1: so i guess a feature of that mate racing circuit is that you use different boats at different events how difficult is it to adjust to to each of the different um, boats that you, you get given?
0: Yeah, sometimes it's a, it's a pretty hard adjustment, but most boats, the skills are really transferable, especially among the bigger keel boats. One of the boats that we actually found the hardest to transfer into was a couple of years ago in Chicago, jumping into sonars, which are like a really small, heavy etchel in a way, and we just couldn't get these boats upwind, and we never managed to figure it out, and that was probably our worst result as a team but yeah we're we're lucky in New Zealand to have the Elliots to train in all of those skills from the Elliots transfer pretty well into most other boats and we've also got the MRXs which again they they train you up pretty well for the big boats so everyone's in the same boat when you're constantly adjusting everyone has got to change and be dynamic with how you sail with the boats but yeah I think it's pretty cool to have um, such great boats here in New Zealand to be able to train in.
1: You also dabbled with the M32s at one stage. Um, what was the sort of thinking behind that?
0: Um, yeah, the M32s, great boat to sail. We went over and did the Europeans, which are in Miedenblatt, in the Netherlands last year. Um, thinking behind that is we thought that the Mat racing tour was going to be kicking off this year, um, with some of the pinnacle events being in the M32s, uh, especially for the Mat tour finals, which are going to be held in Sweden, I believe. And the M32s. So, yeah, we really wanted to use the event in the Netherlands as a bit of a training event because we didn't want to jump into a mat race event and have never sailed a boat or anything like it because in New Zealand we actually don't have anything like the M32s to train in. So, yeah, great training event, but obviously the tour never kicked off this year, so no, it's still good to do.
1: Yeah, I'll come to the match racing tour shortly, but just in terms of that um, Match Race Germany result, I think that victory saw you climb in the top 10 in the rankings for the first time. Um, Did you think a ranking like that would come so soon in your career as a team?
0: Oh, absolutely not. Like, we couldn't believe it when we saw the rankings. Um, It was just a huge moment for us because we realised we could get entry into every single event that we wanted to. So... Yeah, we were super happy. We we were happy from top thirty onwards because that could get us entry into most things. But I guess the um, climbing to the top twenty was really cool and, and put our team's name team's name out there really well.
1: Did it make you reassess your goals as a team and and maybe some of the events that you'd take part in?
0: Yeah, because I, I, our goal for the prior year obviously was to build the ranking and get to the point where we could get entry into most events. But once we got that ranking. Our next goal was to you know we actually need to start doing well at these high tier events we need to start you know getting top twos top threes even winning congressional cup so we built up a plan from that point to um go to all the main grade one events we won't we wouldn't bother with any of the smaller grade twos and grade threes in between we just didn't need to do them but you know we'd go our plan was to go off do a grade one but have a massive build up for it. training at home we've got great people to train against here and we, yeah, we feel like, you know, just having a few big events to pinnacle for, for the year, uh, that was much more effective.
1: So I was looking through your record earlier today, and since the Nations Cup Grand Final, which came soon after the Congressional Cup, which we've just talked about, you've not finished outside the top three at an event. What's been the key to those series of results?
0: Yeah, like like I said at the start, it's all about having a great team around you. Uh, and some and a team that can train a lot all the time, uh, I think that was one of the main attributes to access success. Um, yeah, I, I think just the amount of time we were able to put together, and as a team, was huge. And you know, we've all become such great mates out of it, and uh, it's awesome.
1: So, how much do you actually train together? Because you know. Some of you are students. Some of you work. Um, others are sort of sometimes offshore. How does it? How does it work? Is it the dynamics of a team?
0: Yeah, it's it's really easy to get out and train, especially when it's just the three people, because we've got the boats pretty much already rigged, just sitting down there at the yacht squadron. So uh, either after uni or after work, each day we'd just pile down to the yacht squadron and and jump out, and um, yeah, have a good training session. The, the hard part was organising another boat to train against all the time because you've got to suddenly then juggle six to eight people versus your three to four people. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time training on our own, but trying to incorporate another team where we could.
1: Can you make a living racing in the match racing sort of world?
0: Yeah. um, um Some people manage to make a living out of the match racing, but at, at the current climate, it's pretty hard to. Not, not COVID, but, um, you know, a few years ago, they're having prize money at Matt Trace Tour events, and they're not really doing that anymore. But I think one of the main things is Matt Tracing is a bit of a stepping stone into other areas of professional sailing, which you could make a career out of. So most a lot of people get sucked out of the mat Tracing and put onto the uh, TP52 series, for example, or uh, versions of the America's Cup. So I, I think it's more of a stepping stone into uh, other professional sailing than a career itself.
1: So is, is what is that the end game for you? I mean... What is your ambition? I guess just let's let's start firstly as a team. What is the ambition of the team?
0: Ambition of the team, uh, performance-wise, is win match racing tour when it kicks off again. Uh, and that, That's that been a goal for a while now, and hopefully we can achieve that one day. Um, and I guess we all want to end up doing the America's Cup at some point. Uh, that, those are our two main goals, is match race tour and end up doing the America's Cup.
1: So that's the same as an individual, as a team, and... Those are shared goals.
0: Yeah, it's it's a big shared goal. Everyone's on the same page with that one.
1: Okay. What do you think you need to do to make that happen?
0: I think we just need to keep training really hard and stay together as a team because that's one of the main things. You know, if we can just keep staying together and and building on what we've already learned, because I think if you change team all the time, you don't tend to learn as much so if we can stay together and keep training really hard and doing all the events I think we'll find ourselves starting to um, the results will start to happen for us
1: let's just quickly talk about the world match racing tour um where were things at with you guys and, and getting on that tour before COVID turned up
0: yes we wouldn't have been able to get onto the recent tour like they give out tour cards to eight teams worldwide And that's purely done off world ranking. But that world ranking was done prior to our top 10 ranking. It was from about a year and a half ago. So we we didn't get a tour card. But um, each event has a qualifier. And, you know, we were were planning to go and do those qualifiers to try and get ourselves into the main event. So, yeah, we weren't going to definitely be on the tour, but we were definitely going to be in the qualifiers,
1: you know. So let's say it happens next year. Do they take it off this year's ranking and so therefore you'd be guaranteed a, a place?
0: Yeah, it'd be cool if it did that. <laughs> but I, I think that they'll give out the tour cards to the ones that have already got it right now. Uh, I think is how they do it. But you know, we'll we'll go over and do the qualifiers and
1: hopefully get a wild card. And and how do you make that happen, I guess, financially?
0: Yeah, we're we're um really looking for sponsors at the moment. Last year we managed to Get a little bit of um, sponsorship money, but uh, not enough. But yeah, it's all coming out of our own pockets at the moment. We've all got jobs and and you know part time work going on to to fund a lot of it. And you know you've got all our. We've all really lucky, and we've got great parents who are supporting us the whole way through financially to help us achieve it.
1: Do you ever see yourself going back to racing Olympic classes again, and whatever class that might be?
0: No, I, I don't think I'll see myself getting back into it too soon, but. Who knows, like, one day down the track, I might really want to get back into the 49er or anything else. So doors are always open.
1: There's also an offshore keelboat event these days, coming up in 24 anyway. (laughs) I like my warm showers, though. Well, you just take one of those boats that was the Match Race Germany, right? It's got a bunk and and kitchen. (laughs) Surely it's got a shower on there as well. Yeah,
0: I sure did. It definitely had a nice shower.
1: Well, it's... um, been a pleasure to have you on, Nick. Um, and but I can't let you go without telling us your worst wipeout ever. It's a section of the <laughs> show that oh, um, yeah. we ask every guest on the show what their worst wipeout ever is. Um, so oh, man. take it away.
0: Yeah, all right, worst wipeout. Um, I'd say it's probably got to be one of my more recent ones. Probably six months ago, I was out in the moth off Algiers Bay and going downwind, big gust of wind, and the boat was doing probably high 20s. And um, I had the push rod snap on me, and that, and that is what controls the lift in the main four to keep you at a stable height. Um, the push rod snap, and when it snaps, it pulls negative lift into that um, wing under the boat, into the foil under the boat. And the boat just went from, you know, a metre and a half up in there to just, boom, under the water in a fraction of a second, pitch pole. I went flying forward, wrapped right around the sides today. Massive bruises, it was carnage. So that was probably the biggest one.
1: How much did that hurt?
0: Oh, so much. You know, but <laughs> at the time it doesn't hurt too much because I guess you pumped on adrenaline. But, you know, the, the next couple of days, just big purple bruises down the side of my body. But, you know, it's all, it's all part of it. It's good fun.
1: Bit of a badge of honor, isn't it?
0: Yeah, sure is.
1: Yeah, big badge of honor. Well, very good. Well, look, you're obviously in a very uncertain world uh, like a lot of... Uh, sailors at the moment um, so we hope, certainly hope to see you guys out racing sooner rather than later um, so thanks so much for joining us today and uh, we look forward to seeing how you guys get on in the not too distant future <laughs> hey, no worries thanks heaps for that Michael, that was cool well that's it for another episode of Broadreach Radio, thanks for tuning in let us know what you think by emailing B at yachtingnz.org.nz Or you can also write in telling us your worst wipeout ever. In the meantime, catch you next Friday.